we talk about monorepos, right? People usually like them when they start looking at them because like you see all the benefits. So it is initially very like, a good, it gives you a good feeling, like a lot of productivity. The problem usually that we see is then if you approach it very naively, at some point, like you will add and add and add stuff on top of it, right? But at some point you hit a limit where the productivity decreases again. And so with the next, like we try to address that from different perspectives. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we are very privileged to have Yuri Strumpfoner on the show with us. Welcome to the show, Yuri. Yeah, thanks. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about Narwhal NX mono repos and you know just general development styles that you know we're seeing in the modern day of technology and with these big companies. I mean, Narwhal. If we're jumping right into it, they they consult for Fortune 500 companies, yep, right? Yeah, yeah, we work with some pretty big companies. So, you know, you're going to get uh, the best of the best talking to you and learning about the impact that you have at the company and the impact that you're having on the world today. So your your title is, you know, Director of Engineering and Dev Experience. Does that wrap up kind of what you do at Narwhal? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a double role, let's say. Like we're, we're globally distributed. So like for, for Europe, I'm also taking care of some of the engineering stuff. I have a couple of folks here working for uh, for companies because we consult also for companies. Uh, and then then the main job is probably the one about like being the, the director of developer experience. So focusing a lot on the content stuff and, and like being on shows like this one here, talking about what we do. Uh, and that focuses mostly on, on NX and the open source products that we kind of uh, try to bring forward. What do you think is the biggest misconception about what Narwhal is when you talk to people about what you do? I think a lot of people don't have or don't make the connection between NX and Narwhal. So, and and we probably sometimes make the mistake of like using them somehow interchangeably, right? There's sometimes there's Narwhal mentioned or we mentioned like on our titles, on slides, we are from Narwhal, right? And so people don't immediately recognize like what does it stand for? Um, but so basically Narwhal is, is the company, right? If you want behind NX, NX is an open source product. It has always been open source so that we develop that as part of our working time at Narwhal. But a large chunk of what we do is also provide consulting for big companies, right? And and mainly mainly in the front-end space, not always just in that space. So we have also expertise on some back-end areas, but it's mostly on the front-end space. And, and most of the time it involves like monorepos. And that's where we have a lot of expertise in. Do you think uh, there's a shift coming to monorepos? Is this like a new thing and why Narwhal is finding successful business practices in the consulting space now? Kind of, yeah. I mean, like, uh, Narwhal has been around for, for, I think, five years now. So we've been around for quite a while, right? Like even also always doing monorepos. Um, because like the, the founders of Narwhal, they, they two, like Victor Safkin and, and Jeff Cross, they're two ex-Googlers. And so obviously within Google, they saw like how Google, which is kind of known for having those gigantic monorepo, right? And developing everyone develops the products, all the products of Google entire inside that monorepo. And so they had like seen what that can give you, right? And so when they left Google, they wanted to bring the same experience somehow to the open source community to the world outside of Google, right? But much simpler, obviously, because like not everyone can have like a dedicated like team just handling the tooling stuff, right? Uh, and so it came a bit out of that. Uh, although like in the front end space, I feel since last year, it has gained much more popularity. Uh, like we have seen also more tools come up that are in the same area that also provide some sort of monorepo tooling, right? 
so there has been some increased uh, like awareness about monorepos and in general. So yeah, for sure. Well, there's been an increase in tools, and I guess sort of a decrease because Narwhal bought Lerna, right? Yeah, we we yeah exactly. We 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 took over stewardship like uh, in in May, I think. Yeah, yeah. Lerna has kind of been for a while like staggering in a sense like there were just like some minor fixes going in but it was mostly unmaintained for like two years i would say more or less i think like july 2020 or something i uh, was kind of the last times where it was kind of active um and so we like from the next side we, we have seen that right and so a lot of the folks that we also consult with like they wanted to have some sort of integration so next was always possible to have it within learner workspace right so just use the very core very minimum for next have maybe like fast task execution within learner repos. So that's what people did. Uh, and, and then like the, the whole like learner being unmaintained, being dead, uh, like came up again, like in May when someone actually merged some PR into the main readme saying like in big letters at the very top, look like this is unmaintained, go search for another solution, right? Uh, and, and so that's when, when we, we had an idea, like why not like carry it on, right? Because like, we have already been integrated with learner, right? It's just not in, if, if you want an official manner. Um, uh, and obviously in that integration, what people usually did, like they, they changed the learner commands and just used an X commands for running the, the, their like process within a learner monorepo. And we saw the possibility that we could just make even more simpler, right? So a lot of the folks that use learner right now, the main pain point they had is mostly just the speed aspect, right? So they were usually happy with the rest of it, like the publishing process and then package linking. I mean, learner had already some alternatives provided there as well, right? Uh, and so when we saw like learning being unmaintained and like the whole community being like, oh, now what, what do we do? Like, where do we go? And we, we were like, yeah, we could take it over, right? Like, I mean, we have a lot of expertise in there uh, and X already works with Lerner. Uh, so it was kind of a natural fit. And so we reached out to the main maintainer and they agreed. And so we can kind of started going almost a month ago, mostly. Yeah. So you kind of get the, the added benefits of NX, which we should get into in a sec. So that's like the caching and, and the awesome dependency graph that gets drawn out. So I think that can integrate straight into Lerna. Very cool. Okay. Very cool. So, yeah, I mean, let, let's do it. Let's get straight into NX. Um, if somebody's never heard of NX, what, what would you tell them? So NX, like, um, as we call it, or like, let's say like the official slogan is that it's like a smart, fast, extensible build system, right? That's what you see on our website. Uh, and, 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 and obviously, as I mentioned already a couple of times, we were very optimized uh, for monorepos. So that's kind of part of the DNA of FNX, if you want, right? Now, a lot of folks, like when they see something like build system, they, they kind of think like, oh, that's then replace like my Webpack or my Rollup or Vite or ESBuild or whatever you're using, right? Uh, which is not the case, right? So it's more like it's a, a tasks, task orchestrator. So it basically takes those tools and applies them in the most efficient way. Right. So if you have a lot of packages within the same workspace, so basically you have some sort of monorepo and you might use Vite, you might use ESBuild for some packages or rollup. Right. So and X really just like recognize those tools and just schedules their execution. Right. So it just uses the scripts that you have in there and, and does that in an efficient way. Uh, and as you said, like it's it's things like caching, applying caching, just to identify what actually needs to be run. So it does run whatever you didn't change or touch, right? And also the whole part of the distribution, right? So distributing of the task and distributing of the cache. And and actually there was like uh, a couple of couple of weeks ago, I started uh, listening to a book about from Tony Fidel, like he's the creator of the iPod and iPhone, uh, right? He worked with Apple and he had a good slogan because like he said, like when you, when you create a product, like you need to have, 
a painkiller, not a vitamin, right? Like you need to actually kill the pain Ooh. of yeah it's really good like <laughs> good. I, I really like the analogy right it's like you need to first of all like solve the pain point that people have right and then you can go further right and i feel like with with an x like we definitely address that pain point which is usually the scaling aspect and the speed parts which is mainly what we did for instance also when when we took over co trip with Lerna. that was the main thing we addressed there right but we also kind of i feel like we also kind of have the, the vitamin right because like once you have the monorepo set up and you get going then we have also a lot of support as you grow that monorepo, right? Like for organizing libraries within that, helping generate new stuff, like helping with consistency and, and those kind of features. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty good analogy, I feel. I, I, I like that analogy as well. And speaking of what are some of those vitamins, just to seal the analogy here, what I mentioned just a few minutes ago, that dependency graph that gets drawn, I would love to take that vitamin. That That is beautiful. For anybody that doesn't really know what we're talking about here, when you have NX Core, you can sort of have a web page opened up that shows all of the different packages and how they build and link to each other. And if you change one, oh, now you have to go test this dependency graph, sort of. And I mean, that it really helps organize that thought in your head. Um, yeah, it's not just like the... the it's not just the visualization, right? It's also like the to use that tool for debugging, right? What we always often see is like first people start with the monorepo, but then they have like just a couple of packages and apps in there. They look at the graph and like, yeah, cool and nice, right? And then they might not look at it anymore for quite some time, right? But then like they hit an issue where like some library depends on some other library and they have no clue why that is, right? And so with the graph, you actually now can also like do some smart filtering where you say like, okay, I know this library up there like the whole messy graph, right? Depends on some library down there, but like which path, right? And so you can really like do select first node, select the last node, and then get like the closest path, uh, like all the paths and, and stuff like that. And that is super useful for, for debugging large workspaces. So yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very cool. And I can also imagine like if, if I were to ever use this for something like Python, I'm always stuck in package hell was Python. I, I love Python. It's probably my go-to language when I'm trying to just get work done dirty and quick, but like, oh God, you know, <laughs> solving some of those PIP catastrophes. I mean, it would be really, really helpful. So um, uh, yeah, maybe could you talk a little bit about if, if somebody is maybe not super familiar with the type of load and tax that a build might exert on a computer, you know, the binaries that get invoked and bring together the files, the IO and stuff. Could we maybe look at that a little bit and talk about like that main painkiller, the speed? How does NX improve that? How does a build work at its core and where does NX step in and make that better? Yeah, yeah. So um, the main thing is usually, uh, like when we talk about monorepos, right? People usually like them when they start looking at them because like you see all the benefits. So you see like, oh, now I can have like two libraries, which before were in separate repos. I can just share the code. I don't have to publish. I don't have to think about versioning necessarily, right? So it is initially very like, a good, it gives you a good feeling, like a lot of productivity. The problem usually that we see is then if you approach it very naively, at some point, like you will add and that and that stuff on top of it, right? But at some point you hit a limit where the productivity decreases again, right? Why? Because like, your build takes super long, right? Like on CI, for instance, like your build starts taking like 30 minutes to an hour, which obviously is quite a problem, right? If you need to merge multiple... It's a long time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you need to merge multiple PRs a day, that can become a, quite an issue, right? Uh, and, and so with the next, like we try to address that from different perspectives. 
So first of all, like what we do is like with that dependency graph or the project graph, which you mentioned initially, you cannot just visualize that, right? But that is just like the, the end product of visualization. But behind the scenes, that graph is continuously being used to actually understand what are the relationships, right? So it's automatically built. Uh, and based on that, an X is enabled to kind of understand in a PR, for instance, what libraries did you touch, right? So we don't have to rebuild and retest everything, but really just like take that note that you touched, that project, and then follow the path upwards on that graph and, and see like which other nodes are dependent on that. And so obviously we need to also execute tests and, and, and builds and stuff for those nodes, right? And in the larger workspace, this already cuts down quite a lot of, uh, like a big chunk basically of computation, which otherwise you would need to do, right? And so that, that is one aspect. Uh, the next one is definitely then on top of that, the whole obviously parallelism that comes in, like running tasks in parallel, making sure they are executing in the correct order and you don't waste computation by having processes being sitting there idle, right? And, and instead of taking up like maybe the test run instead, meanwhile, the build is still running, things like that. Uh, but on top of that, there's the caching, which is a big part, right? So all the computation, all the, the tasks that you execute are cached, meaning like an X looks at the inputs you have, it looks at like what source files, environment variables, and, and things are involved in that specific run. Uh, and then it caches that results, computes a hash basically, kind of a number, a unique string. Uh, and when you rerun that at some point, it will check again, that, do those conditions still meet, meet like as I said it before, right? And if it is the case, it just pulls it out of a cache instead of running it. Uh, and that drastically reduces the time. And uh, that's also something, for instance, which you see like with Learner where we applied it, like that really drastically reduced the time of the computation. So if you were running this on Circle, for example, where would that cache be located? So you can, you, like normally the cache, like on your workstation by default, an X always caches, right? So it's local and sits in your node models folder, there's a specific dot cache folder, and it just like adds it in there. Um, you can specify that location. So potentially you could also like have it somewhere outside the, the part of like on your CircleCI build and then have that cached by CircleCI specifically that folder. Uh, or alternatively, you can also opt in, for instance, to something like NX Cloud, which we provide, which then distributes the cache to the cloud, right? So in that case, you don't have to worry about where the cache actually sits, uh, but then NX takes care together with NX Cloud to basically synchronize that local cache folder to the cloud and restore it again. And that's what most people do, right? So most people opt into that and then basically they have that caching for free because like the main advantages you get on CI. Like that is run so often, right? So like subsequent PRs, they don't need to rerun all the parts, but like maybe the, the previous PR has already computed that part, right? So it just gets restored to your own run and you, you get a much faster result in that way. And that's immediate value add for a team because it's just less build time that you're shelling out dollars and dimes for. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. It's that significant. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot to look up the exact numbers, but like we applied this array for an X and within a week we save sometimes like months, right? Which is like crazy if you think about, it, right? Like if, you, if within a week, like you have so much saved time, which otherwise it's computation, which is wasted, right? In the end, like even not just for your time that you wait, but also like the resource that have to be spun up, like machines that have to run to execute a task, which otherwise don't have to, right? So yeah, totally. Hey. This is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. 
In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. What do you, who, who should be using this? Like what types of projects benefit most from NX? Because you could have big repos that would benefit from a cache. Like if you have something that's very disparate, the cache is going to be very impactful. Yep. For a smaller repo, that's not going to be as much. But should the small repo guys still be looking at this if you're just trying to build a small SPA or something? Yeah, uh, I would say so because like um, an X uh, is not just like you can. It is optimized for monorepos, right? But you can use it also outside monorepos. So there's the whole like if you want the vitamin part, right, where it comes with the generators and 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 like scaffolding of new projects, those kind of functionalities, which help you even a lot if you build a single application. And we have actually a lot of use cases where companies are not even sure, like from from the very beginning, like, oh, we want to go with this new project as a monorepo, right? Because like initially you just like start like sketching it out, like you create a product. And we always start with an NX repo and then come with some guidance where we say like, don't just like create a single project with subfolders, rather for those subfolders, create small libraries, right? So you already kind of build out a monorepo if you want. But the difference is really just like within, as you, normally you would have basically single subfolders when you create React app or whatever you're using, right? And in this pattern, instead, you just have your, your thin layer of application at the very top and then a set, a set of libraries, right? Specific to your features, to your domain areas or whatever you're using in that application. And those libraries is also not something that they, they don't need to be shared, right? Across domains. So it's not that like, the second app comes in and like the library needs to be built already to be reusable. Like quite a lot of libraries are actually very focused to the domain area they belong to. And so it's more of like if you want an organizational structure of like how you then also scale the teams and where do teams work on, right? When you have those neat library structures. Uh, and so we've seen like usually in the end you end up with a nicer API as well because like you have that notion of okay, what is public to that library, right? What is private within that library? Which components should be used from the outside in the application, which are just belong to that small feature library which I'm building, right? And so that helps... You're kind of defining an API. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's much more um, a finer, like an, an, a clearer separation instead of just having a folder basically within your Create React app setup. And, and the advantage then on top of that is that those single libraries then would get cached, right? Well, if they were part of the single library application build, well, it's always just one build, right? But if you split them up and have like sub libraries, then the test runs are different. So those tests don't need to be executed if you don't change that subdomain of your application, right? Uh, and so you also get that benefit. And then once teams get accustomed to that, very often we see like, oh, well, actually that application could like be two applications deployed and scaled independently, right? And so at that point, then you, you naturally build a monitoring really, right? Uh, so a lot of the monorepos we see is not like a gigantic monorepo one per organization, but it's more a couple monorepos, right? Maybe per department or per kind of larger domain area, which the company covers. Uh, it really depends like on, on, on the actual company that is using it, right? Would you consider a monorepo a misnomer? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, I actually tweeted about that like a couple of weeks ago. It, and I think Rich Harris also brought it up in one of his tweets because like, that's exactly a misconception a lot of developers have when I talk to them or they like, oh, we didn't like go with an X because actually we don't really want to have a monorepo like one per organization. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's not what you have to, right? So I would probably prefer like something like multi-project repo or something, but like that 
denotes it much clearer, right? So it's really just a couple of projects, right? So they most of the time they're very related. So it could even be like the web app and the mobile application for that product, right? Technically, you have already a small money by that point. Yeah. Right. But you gain a lot of benefits because like there's probably a large notion, large, large part that is shared. Right. So uh, that, that's why what people don't think initially, right, immediately, because like, they're kind of scared from that monorepo thing. Okay. Like, because they know, okay, like, yeah, no Google monorepos. Like, those are like those gigantic repos. I'm probably not in that use case. And I don't agree on that part. Right. Like, we, most of us are not in that, that large use case. Uh, but there are a lot of smaller monorepos as well. Yeah. It's confusing too, because I guess the, the the opposite of that would be a poly repo, which is the smaller one. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly, that's, exactly. That's yeah, yeah. So uh, NX fifteen is coming out sometime this year, right? When is that again? Uh, it will probably be around October. So we usually have like a six month cycle in terms of major uh, releases. Uh, we stick to that already for a couple of years. It works out pretty well. So we have like minor releases, like every couple of weeks, uh, and bug fixing releases, obviously. And then the major release usually like every six months, roughly. Uh, although that said, like, um, if you go into an X and use the plugins that an X comes with, like that type of setup, uh, then we also come usually with automatic migrations. So it is a breaking change technically, right? And so we are cautious and therefore always, always like increment the major version. But we ship also migrations with that. So basically, we upgrade your repo, meaning upgrading the package versions, of course, installing new packages, but also like changing configuration if that changes, changing even your source code to some degree. So uh, we basically help you bring up to that new version and upgrade. What are what are you most uh, excited about for NX15? Like, is there a feature in there that, or a feature you feel like isn't? broadcasted enough that people are chatting about i think like the um, one of the biggest ones I'm, I'm excited about is like the whole simplification uh of the configuration like we called it like i think negative configuration or something right uh, because like nx uh, you can use nx in different sites right so you can use nx like the the we, we we come up with the term like learner based repos but like in the sense of you have like those Yarn workspaces repositories or like npm or pmpm workspace repositories, right? Where you have usually a structure where you have the packages, everyone has its node module folder, you have a package JSON in there with the script and stuff, right? And you add an X on top of that just for the task scheduling, right? So that's the lightweight setup. And then there's like the more evolved setup, which we call it like Google style, because it's it's usually a bit more opinionated. It comes with more plugins and stuff. So it's it's more like like probably like stricter in the sense how you set it up, but it gives you a lot more in terms of developer experience, right? And so with that specific setup, uh, there comes obviously also more configuration in the sense that all those plugins have some of the metadata which sits in a configuration file based on which they understand, okay, like how should they build your project, right? So the whole point in the end is like, due to those plugins, we can provide features such as like automate code migrations because like we know the structure, right? If you have like a loose Webpack file somewhere lying around and you fiddle around with it and like, plug-in stuff, right? It's really hard to automatically migrate that, right? Because you would have to really like look at all the possible source code combinations you could fit in a Webpack config, which you probably won't, wouldn't want to do, right? Uh, and so the whole aspect of negative configuration is interesting because for both of these approaches, you can really reduce the amount of configuration of repetitive configuration specifically that you have in those single areas. So if you have a test target defined for every package in your project, 
you don't really have to repeat every one that every time that you want to use Jest for all of those, right? But rather you can do it in one single place and then basically project all those configurations on the different pieces. And this just simplifies things a lot. And 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 so I'm I'm most excited about that one. Also because some of those things we already are mostly in the process of releasing. Some of it has already been released. For instance, when we uh, integrated NX with uh, Learna in, in 5.1, or we, we provided basically that easy opt-in, uh, we simplified NX a lot. Like at this point, you can actually just install an X package. You don't have to add any other file, and it would already be able to like schedule tasks within your monorepo and get it running on any type of monorepo, even on Learna, PNPM, whatever. Right. And so even the graph, right? The graph would totally work. Actually, you wouldn't even have to install an X. You could run NPX and X graph and it would work on, on any monorepo type of setup, right? Which I think is pretty cool, right? And so that is that comes with with like those like negative configurations we called it already. Um, at some point you probably would want to have at least like a top-level NX JSON file, because like you you always mostly have to somehow fine-tune like how does my build graph look like? Like which project, like whenever I run the build, I want to also build my dependencies, right? Stuff like that you always mostly want to define. Um, but it feels much more lightweight if you don't have to have it just initially when you get started, right? So uh, I'm pretty excited about that one. So check it out to get started and, and just experience the out-of-the-box benefits. Because I mean, like caching a build pieces that, that that's a significant thing that if you can get that out of the box it's like why not yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah is there any other thing about nx i mean I've, i keep talking about the caching because in my eyes like ha- having my face in cicd a lot it's just like that's a no-brainer huge low-hanging fruit it's like a melon hanging from a tree but like what other features haven't we talked about that you think are really cool. Like there's cool integrations straight with React. There, there's all sorts of like extensions and modules out there. Maybe we could throw out one or two more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like still maybe talking a couple of seconds on, on the, the caching part, the nice fit on top of the caching is also the distributed task execution, which we added. I think that, that is like the combination, especially when we talk about CI, the combination of caching and distributed task execution, that's what really gives like the speed. And so with this task execution, what I mean is, is basically like wh- when you run builds on, on your CI, right? At some point, what you do, like you run them always in parallel, that, that's for sure, right? Like if you have a couple of tests, you run them in parallel, you scale them in parallel. The problem though is that like you can only run that many parallel agents or shreds or processes within the same agent that you have on CI, right? At some point, it would get even slower. It's like those have to wait and then like the, the bulk up, right? So what people usually do is like they start to actually split them up, right? Multiple agents that run in parallel and, com- and compute stuff, and then you collect the results again. And the, the thing is, if you do it manually, and you can totally do it, right? So an X, for instance, has programmatic access where you can say, okay, give me all the, the changed libraries, all the changed packages, and then you can collect them and give me all the targets, and then you can distribute them on your own, basically, whatever setup you're using on CI. The thing is usually that is very naive kind of setting up and, and distributing because like you just usually just cut them in batches, right? You have like 20 tests to run. You just create equal batches, assign them to agents and run them. The problem is then when you run them, often what happens like the first batch that like one agent gets like four tests to run in parallel, but those are super heavy tests, which take like 10 minutes, while all other agents are kind of finished after like two, three minutes and they're waiting idle there, right? But they have to wait until all the agents come back and then collect the results, right? And so with the distributed task execution, we, we try to solve that. First of all, taking away the burden of like, you having to figure out how to distribute, right? So it's done automatically. It still runs on your 
CI, like Circle CI or GitHub or whatever, but it's more the, the, the agent that manages the distribution that is the intelligent part, right? That comes with NX Cloud, for instance. And so that one, knowing the graph of how the products relate, it is able basically to prioritize things, right? So it knows that if there's a leaf project that is used by a couple different parts of the, the graph, right? It will compute that first. It will cache it then. So then it can just distribute the cache among the agents, right? As well as in that way, it knows also the historical data. And so it knows which tasks usually take how long. And so it can also use that information to actually balance out the utilization of the agents, right? And so in the end, what you end up with is like you have end up with like pretty high utilization on the CI agents, right? And therefore, obviously, a much, much quicker computational overall. And so I think like that is something we have been working a lot recently. Um, the CI setup is super simple. You can actually generate it. There's a CI generator in X where you can say, okay, give me the CI setup for Circle CI or GitHub. And we're working a couple others simply because the CI setup is so simple, right? Like it's really just like starting the master node that kind of orchestrates between agents and how many agents you have at disposal. You just start them, right? And then the master node will coordinate them and shut them down again. Uh, and interestingly, also in the end, you just have from a developer experience, you just have one single output. So if you go on your CI and look at the, the log, it feels as if it was computed on one single machine, which I feel is also super important, right? You don't want to go and like find the agent which ran that specific test just to see the error message or something. So I think that is that is a very like big plus or something that is maybe also distinguishes an X from other things uh, in the marketing ecosystem. That's something that I would rather pick up from you explaining to me because that's kind of a complicated thing if you're not in the face of dependency and, and, and how that goes. But what you're basically explaining here is it'll look at a dependency on the graph by analyzing the graph and say, oh, like let's temporarily front run this bit because it can be distributed. That's huge. <laughs> that's really, that's uh, yeah. yeah, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard to explain those things. Like we we tried a couple of times, but like it's really hard to boil that down. You really need to try it out. And and that said, like for like for open source projects, technically NX Cloud is like our paid product on top of NX if you want, right? NX is free, uh, and so NX Cloud is the, the the paid product that you can add on top of it. Uh, we actually changed half a year ago the pricing model such that it's it's basically free for everyone because like we give everyone like five hundred hours for free simply because we figured out that. <laughs> Yeah, because we simply figured out because like it, we don't get that much from the single runs of like people trying it out, right? Or, or stuff like that. Initially, we had like five hours per month, right? But rather we have like a different section of like on-premise hosting of NX Cloud, right? Which large companies usually want to do. Uh, and so the money model, the business model is mostly on that, right? So the large companies pay for it while others can try it out. And open source projects for in general are completely free. So if you were out there hearing this, you have an open source project with an X, just ping me. And uh, we give basically unlimited free hours for open source projects uh, to run an X cloud and use those distributed task execution stuff, uh, which, which is kind of our kind of giving back to the open source community just because we are uh, very hooked up with that and do a lot of open source ourselves quite a lot. So. so a little bit less related to NX, I'm just personally curious on your take on the SaaS space here. So something like Circle, any of these like run CICD, they make a lot of money off of the fact that sneaky parameters such as utilization you briefly mentioned, that's a cash cow. That's something where like as a team, you can let that slip under your belt, under your vi vision and really rack up a bill, like buying a really nice electric 
car every month or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, yeah. And, and, and this product, I mean, the whole NX, it tackles that very effectively. Like we're decreasing utilization. You're decreasing RAM usage from waiting. Like, oh, I have a package in memory because we're waiting for this other one to get built. Well, you just explained temporal front running. So that, I mean, like we're having all these things get optimized. Do you think this is going to in any way have like a long-term impact on the revenue and profit business models of these other SaaS providers and like the all of the sizable revenue that they used to rely on? Because we're not talking about like a 5% decrease here. You even mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we went from months of runtime to like days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean like... I never, I never thought from that perspective. It could totally be. I think like on the other side, however, you would run much more, like you would have much more throughput at this point, right? Like if you can run more PRs and push through more PRs, like otherwise as a developer, what do you do? Like you run maybe that single PR multiple times a day because if you're trying to get it merged in, if that is faster in the end, in terms of computation, you would probably start working on more stuff and like have more stuff parallel going through. So it would ramp up probably some of the computation on that side and like get more throughput. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting take in, in general. Uh, I mean, like we're super, we, we've been working on this like vision for, I would say like almost two years for sure. Like we already saw at, when we had local caching, we had already had like the distributed caching in mind uh, with NX Cloud, and we already had the distributed task execution in mind. It just took time obviously to develop those things to refine them, right? Uh, but like now I feel like we really came close circle again because uh, you also mentioned before, like what are some other cool features? One, for instance, that we released, uh, I think that was an X14, so a couple months ago, uh, is for instance also module federation and, and the whole speeding up with module federation. And if you really want also microservices, right? Because like, what often happens is if you create large applications, and we see that when we consult for those Fortune 500 companies, like sometimes they have really those gigantic either Angular or React applications, right? Which even for local serving time, it takes like a minute to serve the app. Right. Or even more. Right. Which is kind of a problem. Right. If you have to restart local web server and you have to wait kind of two, three minutes until like you see something in the browser like that is a pain. Right. Uh, and so now, however, with like the moderation part, you can actually start like because like how do you cache that? Right. You cannot really cache a single application build easily because like, it's always like one block. Right. Of Webpack that builds it and links things together. Right. Even if you create buildable libraries so they can be built independently and cached and then like just cache in like or like restore the cache and like link the built library the pre-built one you still have that linking time which might take quite a quite a long of time right so now with modification what you can actually do which is pretty neat is you can slice the application right so the the whole modification is often just seen in the aspect of microservices right where you want to also deploy independently but we don't necessarily go that far but we just say just Okay, and X provides you the facilities like generators and like, like plugins that allow you to slice the application based on your features, which you might have already done, right? But it builds them independently due to and thanks to the WebEx model federation. So you get different buildable artifacts. And now what happens is like obviously those are independently cacheable at that point, right? And so mentioning like going full circle again, what we can do now, what we introduce, we in, introduce a couple of like helpers and facilities around those model federation setups such that like nowadays you can create a React app that is set up with that model federation, but you develop it as a single application. However, you can now say, okay, I wanna I I work on like, I don't know, the product catalog of that whole huge web shop application, right? I don't really care about the checkout process. So what I do is I can say I want to launch the application with all those modules, but I want to la- launch the 
product catalog in development mode, meaning that it would use the Webex dev server, you would let live refresh and everything. But all the other modules are actually just pulled from cache and served statically. So you still see the whole application as a whole, right? But like it's super fast because really you're just booting a single small piece within an application. So I think that things like that, right, is, is what gives you that uh, added benefit in the end for having the cache, having it distributed and being able to pull it back down uh, together with those generators and plugins that, that the next has. I mean, yeah, if that if it's doing local dev time, that and that's also iration on a developer's part. Like, you don't code eight hours a day. You code three to six, right? And then it's like, if you're getting really frustrated, that turns into two to three. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah uh, exactly. So, so I mean, engineers aren't cheap. So that that's another saving saving money front. I it's interesting you bring up like this whole lens of looking through the value of NX because you're like it saves time, it increases throughput, and I'm like. Well, on the system side, it like tackles utilization and memory consumption and stuff. Um, and what are the effects of those two? I guess it really depends on the culture of your company, the what apps you're building and what services you're employing. But it's irrefutable that on both sides you get these like side channel benefits that you, you know you don't you wouldn't even accept ex- expect before. I can say that I had a friend that worked at a larger firm, and his Angular app took. I mean, I was over his house one time. It took it like 10 minutes to build before I booted up. And I was like, how do you work? I, <laughs> I don't understand. I, this would drive me crazy. But the thing is that it's not that uncommon, uh, unfortunately. It's not that, we, we've seen that. Uh, we've seen that and we worked on such projects where we optimized it. And like a lot of the features of NX come out of frustrations of us consulting for companies, having those problems, us then thinking about a solution and building it back into NX because like, we mostly, most of the time use NX for those companies, right? So, a lot is just back feeded basically into the open source product. Or I should say the pain lever is where you start and then you add on the vitamins. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, we're coming up on time in a few minutes. So um, I, I know one of your socials because I like to ask socials and YouTubes at the end. So I will say you can find Yuri. Um, we can put your Twitter handle below. You have a very yep. rich posting history of updates and all sorts of goodies on there. So definitely check that out. Are there any other areas that you would like to point our viewers to? Yeah, absolutely. Also check out the NX DevTools uh, Twitter account. So that is NX DevTools, basically, all written lowercase. Uh, from there, you, you get most of the info. So whenever we, we have a YouTube channel where we post updates and, and guides and video tutorials about either new features or also things like how do I set up the model federation, which I've just talked about with React, for instance, right? You will most probably find a video on there. Uh, and apart from that, NX.dev, uh, is like our documentation, uh, which we're currently working on all the time. <laughs> it's like we all know how hard docs are, especially if you have a large feature set, right? It's really hard to nail down like the most simple things uh, that are valuable for visitors. Um, and yeah, given we all talked about Lerna, since that is like a pretty new project for us, at least. I mean, Lerna has been around for years, right? But for us, it's pretty, pretty new land. Uh, we just released Lerna 5.1. Uh, two weeks ago uh, with a new website, with new guides, uh, with a couple of new features, speed improvements. So uh, definitely check that out as well. Uh, because especially if you have a learner workspace already, uh, it might make a lot of sense to, to look at that and just upgrade and, and basically relieve you from the pain of like having slow speeds. So, yeah. And and I mean, I, I went on your docs website. It's beautiful. It's really good. But this is the best docs, Yuri docs. Go watch YouTube. Go watch Yuri docs. 
<laughs> you learn, you learn the, you learn the most there. Um, well, thank you for your time, Yuri. Again, um, and we'll see you around. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having. Me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. You can find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.